Welcome to Business Unmuted, the business discussion programme from the north of England, which is also available on all good podcast sites. The programme is brought to you in association with Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. If you're in the market for a new, used or fleet vehicle, its dealerships are in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Malton or York. The food sector in Great Britain employed 3.9 million people in the second quarter of last year. That's according to latest figures from the government. It means more than one in 10 of the UK workforce was contributing to the 28 billion the food sector adds to the UK economy each year. With consumer price index now reaching 9% and food shopping bills rising 6.5%, according to the Bank of England, the industry is the key to the well-being of both the economy and the people of the UK. That's a lot to digest, but helping me not make a meal of it is Alan Wilkinson, head of Agri-Foods at HSBC Bank, Mark Jones, uh, who's head of food and drink at Gordon's LLP, and James Henderson, who's in the food and drink sector, and are advising it uh, with Jan Tan. But we're all welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm going to start with our, our studio guest, Alan. Now, you've worked in food and drink, looking at clients who bank with you for a long time. What do you think the state of the sector is as we speak? Thank you very much, and it's really good to be here. As we speak, um, having having faced you know two fairly significant challenges and 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 changes to the whole way the food chain works. Firstly, Brexit, and then secondly, the the whole COVID pandemic. I would have to say the food chain is in is in good shape. It's um, it's it's faced those challenges really well. Um, it's it's made sure that in in most cases food has been available, and and when I talk to our customers and our clients, you know they're looking forward in a in a realistic way about the significant pressures that inflation is bringing to them and obviously bringing to consumers, um, and they're looking forward in a in a positive um, way to make sure that that they act properly, they make sure that they act professionally but inevitably costs are going to go up. That's the thing that I've, I cannot hide from. Where is the primary cost driver in the price of food at the moment, in the middle of 2022? Well, it's across two or three things. I can't give you a specific answer. It's first of all in those commodities, um, driven by the things that we've heard on the news wires around wheat, uh, sunflower oil, uh, and those other core commodities. So much uh, really depends on the price of wheat, but then, I cannot hide from the, the, the actual price of energy mm. and, and the food industry is a big user of energy. And then of course we've got the uh, ongoing uh, issues and shortages of, of workforce and labour and that's driving uh, prices. And then following on from the pandemic, just to give a fourth one, um, the whole issue of logistics, um, shipping containers and the like, you know, we import one billion pounds worth of food a week, more mm. or less. So there's a lot dependent on international trade not just for the supply of that food, but also things like packaging and, and spare parts and machinery. So, so there are many things affecting inflation. I can't just name one, I'm sorry. And well, and, and it's, it's important stuff, but food has also become more complex. Consumer choice has become yeah. more sophisticated. We're going to talk to a business yeah. that's going to uh, tell us about how they're making the most of that because people are more... Uh, maybe sophisticated isn't entirely the right uh, word, but certainly they've got so much choice, they, they, they turn away from the ordinary more and more, don't they? Well, they do. And I think you're right to point out that the British uh, food industry is seen as one of the best in the world. That's something I think we should be really proud of. 
um, it's seen as, as an area and as a location that many other international food businesses want to sell into. Mm. There's hardly a week goes by when I don't get the chance to talk to somebody who wants to enter the British market for the first time. So we're seen as this uh, you know, innovative, highly, highly uh, capable, uh, highly professional um, industry. And of course, that, that whole consumer choice, and that's, you know, it'd be great to hear from James in a minute, but, but James's business is so typical of, of what we see in, um, you know, right through the whole food chain, not just in drink, but in, in food as well, where people are bringing innovation. And even though it's seen as quite challenging, the opportunity to bring new products to market has probably never been stronger. Well, let's bring uh, James in a moment. We're going to hold you back, James, because we really want to hear about your product. But let's just bring first Mark in, uh, Head of Food and Drink at uh, Gordon's, the law firm. Uh, and also, by the way, although you're, you're a lawyer, uh, you also have worked in the sector, haven't you? The retail sector, Mark. It's not just uh, as a lawyer. Um, so what, what do you think are the pressures and what are the regulatory pressures that are being faced? We've heard about the, the market pressures. What about the regulatory pressures? I think I think the primary pressure is the one that Alan touched on and, and you asked about, which is uh, cost. Um, I think that there has been there's a degree of um, regulatory challenges, which which looks set to continue actually, with um, uh, um, some suggested changes from the government in relation to the Northern Ireland Protocol. Because of course, over recent years, you know, we, we've had Brexit. That's a huge challenge to um, UK suppliers and indeed retailers. Um, there was obviously a period of time where how we traded with the EU wasn't clear. We bought a lot, we export a lot. We're never increasing likelihood that um, pressures will come in relation to the obesity pandemic uh, and regulation around that. So recently, in just the last few weeks, uh, the government announced it was going to postpone parts of the restrictions it's introducing in October in relation to high fat, sugar, and soft products. And those restrictions related to the positioning of install, which is just coming in. Uh, that, that part of the um, regulation applies, but what's been postponed is the ban on volume discount. No, buy one, get one free, things like that. OK, that's a really good overview. Uh, what about the production of food? Uh, you've got people like Jeremy Clarkson taking column inches of newspapers, talking about the planning requirements needed, the regulation needed just to just to farm the countryside. You're talking about uh, Boris Johnson this week, uh, considering whether or not farmers really should be rewilding parts of their fields and maybe they should be putting it to production of uh, wheat and grain and so on. Uh, are the production of foods still subject to a lot of uncertainty from a regulatory point of view? I think the only regulation we're, we're sorry, the regulationary uncertainty we're facing is the potential change in the system. Mm -hmm. In this country, understand and have operated subject to current regulations very successfully. You now, we as a country have, um, I think, the third lower food prices by reference to our GDP. We have high standards, and we estimate regulation to preserve those high standards. But we're used to them. 
So, you know, I touched on um, changing regulation into uh, um, sugar and salt, changing regulation into packaging. And the government has introducing measures recently as well. It's those things that have an impact on us, the changes and the uncertainty, which, frankly, from my perspective, we, we could do without. Okay, Mark, let's bring in James. James, let's have a look at that product of yours. What have you been making at the Yan Tan? hard seltzer business right and what's that guys this is uh premium british alcoholic sparkling water technically otherwise known as well a hard seltzer which is an american style of drink very very new totally new category of sparkling alcoholic drink in this market and um ours a premium british expression of that alcoholic water that's fantastic and what's the alcohol volume of it well, it's 4%, but the secret is that you can barely taste it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a jolly way to celebrate and have a good time, I'll say that much. And um, with the added benefit of being low-calorie, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, uh, and zero sugar, given that it's um, the ingredients list is um, uh, uh, very, very stripped down. Water, base alcohol, and natural flavourings. Right, and what kind of flavours are you, are you putting out there? The first we have is uh, an elderflower and hawthorn flavour. Very nice. There we are. So again, very, very much sort of English, uh, English country garden sort of inspired uh, flavour combinations. And the other, a damson and rhubarb. And I notice you've gone for sort of, uh, from what I can tell on the screen though, they're, they're the sizes of, of bottles of beer, small bottles of beer. That's correct, they are, yeah. Uh, yeah. And cat like a that, bottle of beer as well. They handle like a bottle of beer. They should be drunk, in my opinion, I think, like a bottle of beer. Um, part of the rationale for my brother and I starting this business is we, we thought that the occasion within which people drink beer um, is, uh, well, there aren't many other options. In this country, we drink a lot of gin and tonic. Um, but, you know, if it's a sunny day, perhaps, if you're not a beer drinker, well, there might be rosé, there might be sparkling wine. These drinks are um, uh, very much higher in alcohol then a beer would tend to be not as sessionable. So this provides a wonderful option for that kind of uh, sessionable, easygoing drinking occasion um, and something that's uh, well, a little bit easier on, on the body. Sessionable, now there's a word. Let's, let's, bring, let's bring both Alan and Mark back in on, on this. Uh, first of all, uh, if I just look at Mark, you've seen what that product did. Did you see that while, while he was holding them up? I should imagine, I've got to ask him what he had to face, but there must be a lot of regulatory things that he has to deal with, from advertising alcohol to getting all the labelling right to getting, if he wants to sell it in Northern Ireland, lots of things. How do, what, what advice would you give a smaller startup like this to get a product like that to market? How would you have a proper legal review? Well, I would say employ me, James, is the. But yeah, I mean. Uh, the areas such as alcohol are high reg highly regulated, much like meat production. You know, we touched on our high food standards in this country before, and, and alcohol is no different. Um, and we're seeing increasing regulation in that space as well, with with um, non-alcoholic beer, which of course does does include some some alcohol uh, in it as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're entering that market, you do need to take advice. There's regulations around advertising pricing and certain um, but one of the exciting things for James um, um, in terms of advertising these products is 
there's a certain suspicion in the marketplace that alcohol will take the space of sweets and confectionery, which is freed up by the ban we've seen the government introduce. So, you know, new products like James's, I think, could see could see um, a, a real opportunity in the you know in the coming six months. Mm. All right, James. Let's go back to you. You also you talked about some of the health benefits of this because I suppose. If you were going to go on a drinking session with beer and do that regularly, well, you see people, particularly lads, uh, with slightly paunched, this isn't going to give that, is it? But um, it's it's a, a, an entirely different way of uh, holding a holding a bottle and socialising with alcohol, I suppose. Well, absolutely, and it's it's interesting you mentioned. Uh, um, gosh, how would you put it? Health benefits. There's a uh, um, a factor that I'm sure Mark can associate with, wherein uh, the uh, the regulator, advertising regulator, the Portman Group. Um, no, even though these drinks may well be uh, have oh gosh healthier connotations, uh, they can't legally be advertised as uh, as having necessarily health benefits. And you know that's an interesting sort of learning that as a small business you have to you have to factor in. Yes, and by um, the way, I can I just say to prevent you getting sued on this, that was my amateur connotation. It wasn't his advocation uh, of a health benefit. It was my uh, question. Just so you don't get sued, because they are like that. The regulators are like that. You can easily slip up even coming on a, a video programme like this and, and making a, a, a false claim. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. It's just it's all those details. And quite right, Mark says that you know having legal advice is very, very important for a small business. Something like that with the wording, whatever it might be. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's a minefield out yeah. there, and especially as a new entrant into the market. Um, well, let, let's find out how you it. got fired up. What was the what was the idea behind it, and how did your finances and getting going? Because holding up that bottle must have been many, many months and maybe years of preparation. Guys, no, I tell you what, it still feels fantastic. It really, really does handling your own product. It really does, especially as an alcoholic one. Couldn't be more <laughs> rock and roll in one's own mind. But, um, well, you know, it would, I've worked in the drinks industry for many years. And uh, as mentioned before, that uh, I saw this opportunity with a new category emerging. And that's a new, a new type of drink, I suppose you could call it, emerging over in the States, which is very, very rare. You get things like English whiskey, for instance, a sort of different expression. Yeah. Uh, of a particular style of drink, but never a totally new one, or very rarely anyway. So there was that as a tick. And secondly, uh, it, it was a, a sort of democratic style of drink. You could either call it a, you know, something, a, you know, a substitute for beer or a modern alcohol, maybe. Uh, it seemed like uh, something that could be drunk by almost anyone at uh, over a broad range of different occasions and circumstances. And that was very attractive because it meant I thought that, look, you know, one didn't have to confine oneself to, um, you know, a particular subset of, uh, of demographic or a particular you know, style of occasion to, to drink it. So those were all very exciting things about this new category, even before my brother and I had even tried one of these drinks. And then, well, it all started with getting some imagery down onto a screen, uh, just sketching out drawings, trying to think, well, what would I like? this drink to look like that was the first thing um and then well slowly slowly phone call by phone call email by email um understanding the sort of subcutaneous level of the food production industry uh and who does what who are the bottles who are the glass manufacturers who would do the labeling who can we engage to get the um flavor compounds and how can they be premium and natural and the kind of ones we want all of those little things uh, required a huge amount of detail and almost expertise 
which was just fascinating and frustrating all at the same time. Um, so you're quite right, Graham. Every single bit from the bottle caps, the label, all needed um, a fair amount of, uh, of digging and research. But it, on an incremental level, one, two, three, you slowly sort of build up a, a puzzle, a puzzle of, a, of, of the whole thing until uh, until it's almost near as damn it completed. And then, of course, as you mentioned, you have to sit down and go, how do I pay for all this? How can people buy it? Where from? At the moment, primarily through our website, which is yantan.uk, without the code. We've intentionally wanted to focus on our direct-to-consumer yes. channel. It means that we can uh, keep our focus on uh, what the delivery looks like, making sure there's a gold class of delivery, making sure that the bottles arrive in the way we want. Um, and when, as we're trying to build a brand, it's been quite important for us to be able to add a little bit of value with just notes, anything else, prizes, uh, maybe even extra stock and deals, so that we feel that we can build um, you know, a list of, uh, of advocates for this brand. And that creates a sort of uh, a hub from which then we hope we can increase our distribution and start amplifying on a slightly more um, uh, broad basis. Well, I've got to say, it sounds like a, a really exciting journey. My, my own business, uh, I've promoted companies like the uh, uh, Lakes Distillery, the English whiskey maker, which is now award-winning, and they've told a similar story to you. And of course, Black Sheep Brewery, which is near to you in the Yorkshire Dales, which is similarly entrepreneurial and go-getting and have all made great success. I think you, you certainly uh, personify some of the qualities I recognise in successful food and drink brands right at the beginning of their journey. So James, I wish you and your brother all the very best. Yantan.uk, that's where you buy it. We're gonna give closing words to Alan. Well, what do you see when you see an entrepreneur like that so enthusiastic <coughs> about the product? And would you as a bank want to get behind an entrepreneur like that? Is he the kind of guy you want in your cohort of clients? So I'll deal with the first, uh, I'll deal with the last bit first. Yes, I mean, that's why I do the job. That's why we're so keen to support businesses. And we've done a lot in, in food and drink over many years, not just recently. Um, and, and even though we're going through a few challenges at the moment, we see this as a really important marketplace. Back to James and his story. There's two or three things that, that stand out for me in what James has said. This is the first time I've, I've heard your story, James, as, as so detailed as you've just said it. You have experience. You've thought about what you're doing. You've thought about your branding. You've thought about how you're going to sell your product to your consumer. And also in these early stages, and I know it means more organisation and everything else, but you're using the skills of other people in order to prepare and make your product and, and bottle it and such. Now, if you can build those things together and you, know, you, will, you will experience in a positive way some growing pains as you expand uh, and you will get other, other businesses that come along and want to buy your product, people like supermarkets, people like uh, you know, the restaurant trade and such. But as we go through over the next 12 months, two years, even, even beyond, um, I think the interest in what you're doing is going to grow. And even if the, even if the consumer uh, is facing the cost of living challenges that we, we hear about quite a bit, I think, the, I think the consumer will be very, very interested in your product as, a, as something, uh, if you like, an affordable treat that they can, that can try and, and, and come back to and try something new. You have a great story to tell. So yes, we'd like to be involved um, and I wish you well. Uh, and you are like many other businesses that are coming forward wanting to bring out new food and drink products. Well, Mark, James and Alan, thank you all for joining us on this edition of Business Unmuted. 
We're back at the same place, same time next week.